Hey, y'all, and welcome back. This is another episode of Tales of the Resistance, your favorite podcast about antimicrobial resistance. I'm Mara. I'm the project manager with the I Am Responsible Project and one of the regular hosts of this series. I'm joined, as always, by the marvelous Amber Patterson. Well, thank you. Hi, I'm Amber. I'm the multimedia graphics designer for the Schmidt Lab, and I work with the I Am Responsible team, and I'm excited to be here. Excited to have you, as always, and we're going to be joined on the podcast today by our returning and frequent guest, Noelle. Hello, my name is Noelle, and it's good to be back. And new on this series, we're bringing in uh, one of the new team members who's been with us this summer working on social media outreach. So you've you've probably seen some of the stuff she's written. Uh, say hello to Beth. Hi, I'm Beth, and I'm excited to be back. And we're going to be continuing our series, answering questions that you guys have submitted via social media. Keep bringing those questions in either on one of our social media pages or with the new website that we finally got going, IAMRproject.com. Check it out. All right, let's get into the questions today. What do we got up first? Are all antibiotics candidates to resistance? Uh, I'll, I'll take Noelle's... Uh, inspiration here and say short answer yes <laughs> and maybe I'll say more later but I'm gonna leave it for, there for now <laughs> I like that does anybody have anything to add well my first thought also was yes since all antibiotics fight bacteria and all bacteria have the capability to evolve and develop adaptions so then they pass along those adaptions to similar bacteria. So then all bacteria can become resistant to antibiotics. Oh, yeah, all antibiotics can become candidates. Can have some resistance, yeah. And um, I'll put in the show notes, I have to find it, but I know that from the CDC somewhere, I have seen this uh, really cool timeline that has... Uh, all the different classes of antibiotics that have been developed, and then how long after each class a resistance in, in at least one of the species they're supposed to treat has been identified. And some of them are, you know, within two years, within one year, you know, sometimes it takes a little longer. It depends on how widely used that antibiotic is and the type of of bacteria that it's supposed to treat. But all of them, all of them that we have ever developed have have had resistance um, identified for them. And I don't think that that's going to change in the future with the new classes. Let's move on to the next question. Which one is recommended, inject injected or pills for antibiotics? This is one I have no, I have no idea. So <laughs> I would love to hear the answers from our more more in the know hosts. I'm curious as well, because I had never even considered that. I mean, I know that when you're very ill and you're in the hospital, they put you on IV antibiotics and I think they're stronger, but I don't know which one would be recommended. So what can you tell us about that? I, I think my opinion on this is that medication is always dose-based. So there's a dose response to that. And it doesn't matter whether you're injected or it's given as a form of a pill. It just depends on, say, what kind of infection you have and what dose the doctor prescribes for you. So 
regardless of whether it's injected or swallowed, I believe that the medication is prescribed as a dose. And so in terms of the dose, that's where maybe say antibiotic resistance comes to play. And that's because bacteria are susceptible to antibiotics at a certain threshold. And once it is beyond that threshold, they become resistant. And so that's why people do the minimum inhibitory concentration test, which is normally known as the MIC. And so MIC, that is the lowest concentration where a bacteria is susceptible to, to a certain dose. So that's the minimum concentration of which a bacteria is susceptible to an antibiotic. And so depending on the dosage that you are given, then that will be the one to either kill the bacteria and help someone get better. But in my opinion, it doesn't matter if it's injected or it's in pills. It just depends with what condition you have and what you prefer. I think it also comes down to personal preferences. For instance, I would rather get pills every day than being injected. I am a sucker for needles. I cannot stand it. And it also depends on what the healthcare provider prescribes. But I don't think there is a certain recommendation. And that may be true to some extent. And maybe a healthcare provider can help answer that better. But to my scientific knowledge, I believe uh, it depends mostly on the dose rather than the mode of administration of the medicine. Let me jump in there because I... And this is way outside my area of expertise. And I definitely would recommend to our listeners, don't take our word for whether you should take pills or injection. Talk to a doctor about this. But I do know in my reading about antibiotic stewardship, they include what they call the four Ds. So that is the drug. So the type of drug, antibiotic, the type of dosage, which Noel was talking about, that it really matters, um, the concentration of the drug, because there's resistance is defined at a certain concentration, and that antibiotic may, or that bacteria may not be resistant at a higher dosage. There's duration, and I think we talked about this, uh, I don't remember, we talked about this at, at one point where, you know, you have to take your antibiotic for the full duration, and that duration is sort of constantly being examined and changed in prescribing guidelines and but just listen to your doctor when they prescribe it because there is some thought going into the duration it's one of the stewardship d's and then the other one is delivery and and that's sort of the injection or pills question and i think that um the main difference is in the speed again not my area of expertise but a pill would go to your stomach and then be absorbed and go into the bloodstream. Whereas an injection, it's already in the bloodstream. So it would go a little faster, but that's, that's my understanding of it. And I'm not an expert. I would just talk to the doctor, but I do think it is one of the stewardship decision-making processes that they go through is what kind of drug, what kind of dose, um, how they're going to deliver it, and for how long. And all of those are decisions that are made very specific to the case. So talk to a doctor about it. In terms of making a recommendation, there isn't a recommendation, like Noelle said. There, It really depends on the specific infection. 
But we should move on to question number three. Are some people more likely to have resistant bacteria inside them than others? Thoughts on this, guys? So, like, when I started grad school and I took the antimicrobial class, I used to have uh, notes which I called lessons from bacteria. And uh, one of the lessons is that bacteria are not choosy. They will go anywhere and everywhere that they can thrive. My thought on this is that antibiotic resistance can affect anyone simply because bacteria can attack anyone. There is good bacteria which are good, but there's also bad bacteria. And the bad bacteria are what we fight with antibiotics. But if there is no prudent use of antibiotics, then definitely antibiotic resistance can affect anyone. However, I feel like people who are more prone to the risk of antibiotic resistance infection are people with like weak immune system and who have predisposed conditions, medical conditions. But other than that, bacteria are not choosy, so anyone can be affected by antibiotic resistance. That's the lessons I've learned from bacteria. One of the lessons I've learned from bacteria. Well, thank you for sharing that, Noel, because I had thought that the health of the body or genetics maybe didn't play as much of a role. So that's good to know that, yeah, if someone has a weak immune system, then that could play a major role. My feeling when I read that was that maybe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, whether or not someone is going to have resistant bacteria inside of them would be affected by the environment, that the environment would have a role to play here. So like if someone lived in a city where um, resistant bacteria were more widespread than in another city, then that would affect how resistant the bacteria in that person's body was. I'm kind of thinking, I had read an article um, called Understanding Water's Role in Antibiotic, Antibiotic Resistance in Africa and how water was like the common element. And so because it was in the water, antibiotic resistance was in the water, then it spread to everyone who drank that water. So if, for instance, it was New York City and there was a lot of antibiotic resistance in their uh, drinking water, then it could spread to everyone in the city more quickly. So it was kind of the location they were in. And I might be really off with this. What do you guys think, you wise people who know more about it than me? Well, when I read articles like that, I it, and and there are so many out there, you know, there's AMR in flies, there's AMR in the Himalayas in, in Antarctica. It, to me, it serves to um, reinforce the fact that antimicrobial resistance is everywhere. And antimicrobial resistance is in animals who have had antibiotics given to them and animals who have not. And it's probably in you right now. You know, I think that well, well, we haven't done a culture to find out. It's it's likely that there are some antibiotic resistant bacteria inside all of us who are talking. But it is like Noel said that our microbiome is complex and it controls itself. Our immune system has a lot of power here. In terms of who is actually going to experience an antimicrobial resistant infection where the pathogen gets out of control in their body, that is probably more likely to be persons who have an immune system deficiency because they're just more likely to have infections of any kind. And um, they also 
you also might see people who have recently been or, or who are in the hospital or recently been in the hospital because there are more serious pathogens that can be spread around there that have resistant strands or someone who works with sick people or sick animals because again you have more more frequent to um, get in contact with a pathogen but the actual genes of resistance I mean they're just everywhere and as we talked about a lot during our book podcast we can't eliminate the risk of antimicrobial resistance, it's natural, it's out there, it's just a matter of managing it and protecting ourselves from pathogens where we can. And if we can't, then using um, wise stewardship of antibiotics and other treatments to help us get through uh, the illness as best we can. That would be my thoughts. And again, you'd have to culture every one of us to find out if that's 100% true. But when I read those articles, that's just what it tells me is that it's really already there. It's a matter of, is it making the jump from a harmless or beneficial microbe into a pathogen? That's really what we have to be concerned with. All right. Are we ready to tackle question? the last question? I think so. All right. Can antibiotics be modified for attacking attacking the resistant bacteria, or is it usually treated with different antibiotics? And I wanted to ask this question because um, I had a friend that had C. diff, and the doctor said the C. diff was caused because she had been prescribed so many antibiotics for she has chronic UTIs, and so. I found it really interesting that they treated her C. diff with more antibiotics. I I don't understand why. I mean, I suppose the antibiotics killed the C. diff, but it was all very confusing to me. So I'm hoping you guys can shed some light on that. Well, the C. diff is, is a little bit of a complicated case because it does usually happen for people who have had a lot of antibiotics. And it is very difficult to eliminate that way. I know some of the newer treatments are more about introducing a healthy microbiome to outcompete it. But again, this is a that would be a question for a doctor on like what is the best approach for C. diff in terms of like being given a modified antibiotic or different antibiotics. I think that really an individual person's illness you have to give them different antibiotics. I mean, you can you can change, like we go back to that question about deliveries and stuff. You can change some of those things where you use the same antibiotic with a different dose or a different delivery, or you can switch the type of antibiotic, but you can't necessarily modify the antibiotic over the space of a person's illness. This is one of the major problems with how long it's taking for new antibiotics to be developed because it does take so long. You know, the even a new generation of an existing class, they go back to the lab, they learn how to modify it, then they have to go through all these tests and stuff. So you may be given a different dose or a different duration or a different delivery method of the same antibiotic. But you're probably not going to get 
a variant on that same antibiotic, if none of those things work, they're going to give you a different antibiotic just because of how long it takes to do a modification. And that's what I took by the question modification. Antibiotics modification is, is the sort of uh, chemical modification to create a new variant. But I suppose if you thought about it in terms of dose or, or delivery, then yes, that's that's a different way that that antibiotics could be modified in terms of how they're given to you rather than give you a different antibiotic. And that does happen. Well, does anybody else know more about CDF than me? It is it is an interesting part of the AMR. I don't either. <laughs> no, that's I, a bacterial I, infection, right? It's a bacterial infection, but it it's one that usually occurs for people who have been taking a lot of antibiotics and it will kind of come in if and I guess this would be considered part of our side effects conversation because usually it will happen for people who have sort of already cleared out their microbiome with other antibiotics because they were sick with other things and and it is it's a pretty it's a long usually and chronic condition or it can be uh, a long-term problem and then it's basically it's it's like a diarrhea I think Mm -hmm. um that you get and so some of the treatments for it that are more effective I mean for a long time people just give stronger and stronger antibiotics but like in our side effects discussion those that can be a problem you know in terms of continuing to harm the rest of the microbiome selecting for resistance toxicity of antibiotics so sometimes I've heard that people are treating this with uh, a transfer of a healthy microbiome from a healthy patient to the sick patient. Usually this is like fecal transform, I think, transfer, I think, especially because mm-hmm. it's like a, a problem in the intestinal tract. It sounds gross, but I guess it's pretty helpful. I was going to say, wow, <laughs> that sounds exactly like something I would not want <laughs> yeah, it says on the CDC website, repeat infections include, uh, treatments include fecal microbiota transplants, which have promising results, but I guess they don't say that that's uh, 100% all the time. All right, so that brings us to the end of the questions we intended to answer in this podcast. We still have more to go, though. So um, we will be back again soon with more question and answers. And, and if you have other questions, you know, please reach out on the different social medias and we will get to them as we can and look forward to doing so. So thank you. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. And we will talk again soon. <laughs>